Lord, we have enjoyed meditating upon the truth of your word and upon this wonderful relationship that we have with you in that you are our shepherd. And now as we focus our attention upon your word in Psalm 23, and as we hear it proclaimed to us, may our spirits be opened and may the Holy Spirit's voice be clear to our hearts so that we may know what you are saying and respond to your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God employs many different pictures to illustrate the relationship between himself and his people. He says that we are children in his family. He calls us members of the body. We are said to be living stones in the holy temple. And we are called branches of the true vine. But one of the most blessed pictures is that of the sheep. We are sheep in God's flock. Now it's not that this picture of us is completely flattering either. Because as a matter of fact, sheep are easily frightened. They're not very smart. They tend to be rather dirty. They are lost easily. And they are easy prey for their enemies. But on the other hand, sheep are trusting creatures. And they learn who their shepherd is, and they learn to follow him. And it is that particular truth that is in view when we are called the sheep of the Lord. That is what Jesus had in mind when he said, I am the good shepherd, and called us his sheep for whom he laid down his life. When a sinner believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes a sheep in God's fold. Before that, the Bible tells us that we are like goats, which in the biblical sense were wild creatures, untamed, not domesticated at all. Goats ran on the mountainsides. And in the biblical sense, goats represent unsaved people. We see this, for example, in Matthew chapter 25 at the judgment of the sheep and the goats that Jesus talks about. We don't have time to go into that, but you can see that representation there with the goats. But sheep are those that are tamed. They are brought into the care, the watching over of a shepherd. And so when we become children of God by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we no longer are identified as goats, but rather as sheep. The Christian is shepherded through life by the Lord and is secure in the Lord's care. We see that in Psalm 23 by three statements that are made by David, statements of faith and confidence. He says in verse 1, I shall not want. In verse 4, I will fear no evil. And again in verse 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Three statements of assurance made by David in light of the Lord's shepherding care in his life. I'd like for us to look at those this morning and to look at the entire psalm, for each one of them tells us about our shepherd's care too. 
We notice in the first place that the Lord delivers his sheep from deficiency. Verses 1 through 3. I shall not want, or I shall not have need, I shall not lack, says David. Of course, in saving us, our Lord in the first place met all of our eternal deficiencies. We were deficient of life, deficient of understanding, deficient of light, deficient of righteousness. And the Lord, who is our shepherd, provided all of that for us, life and light and understanding and righteousness. He has provided that for us because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. But as David writes this psalm, he seems to have in mind, rather than the eternal deficiencies the Lord met, the temporal ones, the ones that he faced every day in his walk with the shepherd. So let's think of it in that sense. A present experience application of the fact that the Lord delivers us, his sheep, from deficiency. In the first place, notice that he provides rest from our weariness. Yes, the Lord's sheep can become weary. We are involved in a hectic pace of life, aren't we? And we become exhausted in that. We have feverish routines and schedules that keep us worn out, not only in body, but in mind and in spirit. Our tendency is to put other priorities before God because we tend to live for the urgent and not for the important. We beat ourselves practically to death trying to live the Christian life. We think that being a Christian or living the Christian life involves doing this and doing that and being there and being here and being involved in this activity or that activity. We have to be a part of this and a part of that. And the end result of it is that we just beat ourselves half to death trying to live what we think is the Christian life. We become weary not only in the schedule of our daily routine but in the actual process of attempting to be the Lord's people. And that is why David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul, he says. You and I at times have to be made to lie down. And God arranges some convenient way by which we are laid aside for a period of time. And we think of that as an unpleasant thing, and yet the Lord looks at it as green pastures, and we ought to open our eyes and see the green pastures there too. We need to learn to lie down in those green pastures and to rest, and to follow his leading to what he calls the quiet waters. Sheep do not enjoy drinking from fast-flowing streams. The rushing water, the splashing of it over rocks frightens them. And so they prefer the quiet pools to drink from. Thus a shepherd, because he loved his sheep, would take rocks and would build a dam in the stream to provide at least an area of quietness so the water would flow and fill that area and be still 
And there he would bring his sheep so that they might drink from the waters which they needed. And so our Lord does the same for us, providing for us quiet and still waters. Beloved, that is our need. The secret to living the Christian life, the secret to facing the hectic schedules that confront all of us every day and every week that we live, the secret is learning to rest. To rest upon who Jesus is and what he has done for us. To realize that we don't have to perform to do something more to make us acceptable to him. For by his grace he has already made us accepted in the Beloved. Yes, we want to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Yes, Paul says that we ought to labor, therefore, to be well-pleasing to the Lord, knowing that one day we shall stand before him at the judgment seat. But on the other hand, let us remember that as believers in the Lord Jesus, we can rest and be quiet, and we need to be. The Lord is our shepherd, and he delivers us from our deficiencies. One of the deficiencies that all of us faces is that of weariness. And the Lord provides us rest if we will avail ourselves of it. I'm talking to some weary sheep this morning. There are some of you that half beat yourself to death trying to be what you think is a good Christian. Or your schedule at work or at home has caused you to meet yourself going and coming. Our good shepherd today would take you by the, by the hand and lead you to green pastures and to the quiet waters and would ask you to learn to rest in him. And though that may not slow down the number of appointments you have in the day or the responsibilities that you have, it nonetheless will encase you in a spirit of quietness as you pass through the busyness of the day. The quietness our Lord gives us is an inner quietness, not necessarily the outward quietness of schedule, but is that sense that we are right with Him and that He is in control of our circumstances and we can be at peace about that. Then I notice that the psalmist says that the Lord provides restoration for our waste. A hectic life not only leads to weariness, but it brings waste also. The more hectic and upset we become, the less profitable and beneficial we are to the Lord as well as to other people. What we need is restoration inwardly. For the frazzled edges of our lives to be brought back and sewn together, the Lord restores our souls. He provides for us new strength. How does he do that? Well, it is when we get to that quiet place that we receive from him that spiritual nourishment for the inner man that enables us to be restored. We first have to get to the quiet place. And once we are there in communion with him, then the Lord is able to restore our souls. Are you restored today? Or are the edges of your life frayed because of that hectic schedule you've been trying to keep? Or those sincere but fleshly workings of your life to try to live the life for God that he wants you to live? 
Draw apart from that, beloved. As the Lord's sheep come to the quiet waters, to the green pastures and lie down, and there allow him to restore you in the inner man. As the songwriter said, Speak, Lord, in the stillness, while I wait on thee. Hushed my heart to listen in expectancy. Have you been listening to the Lord this week with expectancy and in a quiet place where he might reach down into that soul of yours and bring it back to order from his confusion and chaos? Where he might heal you from the hurts and the cares? Where he might restore you? The Lord provides for all of our deficiencies. He delivers us from them. He provides rest for our weariness, restoration for our waste. And I notice also he provides redirection for our waywardness. It does not take a Christian very long to understand that even though he trusts the Lord Jesus as Savior and is forgiven of his sin, there remains within him a tendency to wander away from the Lord. There is a certain self-indulgence that we still struggle with. There is yet within the child of God fleshliness, where sin operates as a principle, seeking to cause us to wander from our paths of walking with him. The Lord, our shepherd, provides redirection for our waywardness. He guides me, says David, in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Isn't the Lord good to come after us when we have wandered? When we have gone wayward, we hear his footsteps behind us. And we may continue wayward for a while, but as we do, we hear those footsteps catching up with us until finally we feel the, the hand of the Lord in our lives. And we are brought to repentance and we return and come back to the paths of righteousness or to the right path. Why does the Lord do that? For his name's sake. Because you see, you are his sheep. You are his. And his name is identified with you. And for the sake of his own reputation in your life, the Lord persistently comes after you when you've gone astray. The songwriter says, I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin, no more to trod. Lord, I'm coming home. How wonderful it is when as children of God we come to that place in our waywardness where we say, Lord, I have strayed. And I see that. And I repent of it before you. And he redirects us and brings us back to the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Maybe that's where you are today. That as you honestly stop and evaluate where you've been walking recently, you see that it's not been the paths of righteousness, but other paths that have brought you to the edge of disaster, perhaps, or to the point of shame. And now our Lord comes to you faithfully as your shepherd and he says, let me redirect your life. Will you let him do it today? The Lord our shepherd provides for all of our deficiencies. He's wonderful. 
We are kept secure because of that. But I want you to notice that also the Lord delivers his sheep from danger, verses 4 and 5. I will fear no evil, is David's statement of assurance. Oh, what confidence rings in that statement. No evil will I fear, none. There are two evils that seem to be in mind as he says that. One is the evil of the valley of the shadow of death, and the other is the presence of his enemies. The valley of the shadow of death is another way of saying the valley of the deep shadow, which is probably the better rendering of this. We use this psalm and this verse in particular at funerals, and there's nothing inappropriate about that because it's true at that occasion of death. But the idea is broader than that. It's the the valley of where the shadows are dark. It's a valley of uncertainty where we are tempted to anxiety because of the evil that may lurk there. As a young boy, I remember an occasion when I had played at our neighbor's place with their children rather late in the evening, and it had become dark. We lived a quarter of a mile away from our neighbor's, and on the farm there are no street lights. The only light you have is the stars and the moon, and that's all that was there that night. And it wasn't too bad along the gravel road, but just as I was leaving to walk home, The neighbor said to me, now watch out for the boogeyman. (laughs) What a sorry rascal to do that to a boy, nine or ten years old. Now I knew that road. I had walked it many times. I knew the trees and the bushes, but suddenly they took on new forms. And lurking behind them was the specter of the boogeyman. I read recently where that phrase comes from. Back in World War II, it seems, that the Japanese landed on a certain part of Indonesia. And they took the villagers and uh, the women and children they killed, and then they took the men to a cave, and there they beheaded them. And as the Japanese soldiers were walking away from the cave, they looked around And here were these headless bodies coming out of the caves after them. You say, what's that got to do with the name? Well, that's what they did. They boogied. No, actually, the truth is... (laughs) The truth is that that happened, supposedly, on an area of Indonesia called Boogie. And so that, that specter of a headless body coming after you was the boogeyman, at least in the lore of that story. The valley of the deep shadow. What is the deep shadow that's in your path today? What is the valley that causes you to fear? What is the boogeyman in your life? As you look out over the next week or the next months, as far as you can see down the road, David says, I will fear no evil. Now the implication in the psalm is that the shepherd led him there. Notice in verse 3, he guides me. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow. And so as he goes through that experience, it is that the shepherd has led him there. That idea that when we walk with Jesus, we never go through a valley is a false idea. 
For our Lord takes us into the valley just as the shepherd took his sheep into the valley when that was necessary. We need to remember, though, that the valley is not the destination. The valley is but a passage. That valley of the deep shadow that is before you is a part of the journey, but it's not where the journey leads to ultimately. David said, I fear no evil, and the reason was the personal presence of the shepherd. Thou art with me, he says. Isn't it wonderful that when we walk through the mountain heights or through the deep valleys, the Lord is with us. We never walk alone. That's why we can say the Lord is our helper. We need not fear. Because he is the one who has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. The Lord who is always with us has a provision for us that we need. It's called a rod and a staff. These two implements were symbolic of his power and his strength, his care over his sheep. Haddon Robinson describes the rod as a two-foot piece of oak that usually had a knot at the end of it. And into that knot were pounded sharp pieces of metal so that the rod became a very sturdy and heavy fierce weapon. It was the kind of weapon that could smash the head of a predator that was close or which could be thrown at a distance like it was a missile, the shepherd's rod. But then the staff was that other longer piece that we often think of and identify with the shepherd. It was bent at the end so that there was a hook. That longer piece was used to hold back the branches, to clear the path for the sheep. It was used to gently reach up and tap the sheep, perhaps to redirect him. It was used with the hook to reach down and pull up a sheep that was caught in a pit or on a ledge. So it was a very useful tool to the shepherd. David says, the Lord's rod and staff, they're with me. I need not fear in this deep, dark valley that I'm in. And you don't have to fear either. Because the Lord delivers you from danger. He will lead you through deep valleys of darkness. But he is there with you and his provision is for your sake. And he will never leave you there. He will lead you out. But David had a second danger in mind. It was the presence of enemies. These enemies are not identified personally. But he says, Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup overflows. Notice that the presence of the enemies does not cause the blessings of God to stop. There is still the table of fellowship with him. The picture in the mind here is that of a lavish oriental feast. David seems to leave beside himself at the moment the picture of the shepherd. And he goes to the picture of a host. The Lord is his host. And he sees himself at a table that is lavishly spread with all sorts of fruits and nuts and vegetables and meat that had been prepared. An oriental banquet. 
And he sees himself reclining there in comfort upon the pillows, delighting in the presence of the host who has invited him. He says, the enemies may stand around and watch, but the Lord and I, well, we in the midst of that sit down and we have fellowship together at a table that is lavishly spread. He further says, he gives me in the midst of my enemies anointing with oil. That was a custom of a host in that day, to anoint the head of the guest who had traveled a distance with oil, to refresh him. And so we have here the picture of the anointing of refreshment. The Lord gives us that, folks, in the midst of our enemies, whatever, whoever they may be. They cannot rob you of the blessings of the Lord. You can still fellowship with him. Indeed, persecution from your enemies makes Christ all the sweeter to you in fellowship. You still have the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that oil of God, as it were, in your life. No enemy can rob you of that. If you are placed into solitary confinement in some deep prison somewhere for the sake of Christ, the Holy Spirit is still there as your comforter, your teacher, your sealer. He is there. And he says, my cup runs over also, the cup of abundance. The picture here is of his lot in life. He says it is a lot that is filled with abundant blessing. In Christ Jesus we have received every spiritual blessing and no enemy can rob us of that. We can still pray to a God who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or can imagine according to the power that works within us. No enemy can steal that from us. And so in the midst of our enemies, the Lord delivers us from danger. He does, because he is a faithful shepherd. We are kept secure. And then finally, the Lord delivers his sheep from doubt. Verse 6. How do we know that we'll be kept secure? Through life and then after life. Well, because, again, of the shepherd's protection. Notice that he says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. <clears throat> and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have the shepherd's protection for life. God promises us his goodness and his loving kindness, that is, his covenant faithfulness. God is faithful to us because we have a covenant established between us that is sealed in Jesus' blood. God's goodness and his covenant faithfulness, he says, follow me all the days of my life. Notice he says, they follow me. The shepherd is out in front, leading the way, guiding us in the paths of righteousness, but behind us, in our journey through life come God's caretakers, his goodness, his faithfulness that keep us moving with the shepherd. And these caretakers are ours for all the days of our lives. That is, for the whole of them and for the each of them. There's not a day that God's goodness and God's faithfulness does not minister to you and to me. The Lord delivers us from doubt. Do not doubt him in your life. Remember that he is out in front leading you. You may not understand how he is leading at this point. He's leading you. 
He's leading you in the right path for his namesake. And he brings up behind you his goodness and his faithfulness so that you will eventually arrive where he wants you to. How wonderful to have the shepherd. And no longer to be a wayward sheep who's lost and without a shepherd. We have the shepherd's protection for life, but we also have the shepherd's protection forever, for afterlife. For he promises us a dwelling place. In David's mind, in the house of the Lord was perhaps the tabernacle. That place where God was, where God dwelt over the mercy seat. To David, there was no greater thought than to be with the Lord. To be with the Lord in his house. Is there a greater thought for you? Can you think of any joy more sublime, any delight that is more full than to be in the Lord's house? And that is where we're headed. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he says. Beyond that earthly tabernacle, we see heaven. That place that Jesus called my Father's house in which he said, are many dwelling places, I go to prepare a place for you. Our Lord delivers us from doubt. We need not doubt him in this life, nor doubt him in eternity to come, because he's already in eternity, and he's prepared the place for us. The place that is our Father's house. But there's a dwelling place for each of us who knows him, who can call him our shepherd. The Lord delivers his sheep. He delivers us from deficiencies. He delivers us from danger. He delivers us from doubt. Let me close with just three final considerations. Number one, are you living out of your deficiency or in your shepherd's sufficiency? Which is it? I mean, are you living today in weariness or in rest in Him? Are you living in your own waste, or are you experiencing His restoration? Are you living in your waywardness, or are you knowing His redirection constantly to the right path? Are you living out of your deficiency, or out of His sufficiency? Which is it? Which would you rather it be? What will you do to begin to enter into the shepherd's sufficiency? What do you need to do today in terms of attitude and response to him? A second consideration is this. Are you living in fear of some evil or in the security of God's protection? There is nothing that robs us so much of our joy of salvation as worry (laughs) over something that may happen to us. Are you living today in the fear of some uncertain evil? Or are you living in the security of God's protection in your life? My friend, if you're living in worry and anxiety, today lay it aside. No longer allow that to be a drain upon you. But trust the Lord's security, his care, his protection. A third consideration, 
Are you living in, light, in doubt of your salvation or in the assurance of it? Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never by any means perish. Are you living today in the doubt of your salvation or in the assurance of it? God wants you to know you're saved. If you're doubting your salvation, then it's possible that you've never been saved. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. It's one or the other. These things I write unto you, says John, that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life? Do you know that goodness and mercy are with you now in this world and that should you die today, you would go to the house of the Lord forever? Do you know that? You can. God wants you to know that. He's provided for you to know that. You can know it by trusting in the Lord Jesus today as your Savior and returning to Him who is the shepherd of your soul. It's possible that one can trust the Savior and still doubt his salvation, however, particularly when he's not following the shepherd obediently. Because the assurance that we have in our hearts that we are His comes from the fact that we walk with Him. That gives us the assurance that we really are God's sheep when we hear His voice and we go in the direction that He tells us to go. Maybe you're a child of God, surely enough, but you've not been listening closely to the shepherd's voice and today that's even began to eat away at the assurance of your salvation. Will you today respond to the shepherd and give him yourself anew? Give him yourself in repentance and newness of faith so that you can say with David, The Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder just in the closing seconds of this part of our service how you need to address the Lord. Maybe it's with gratitude that He has led you and that He's kept you and that you followed obediently, not as a work of your own effort, but by His grace. But perhaps there's some deficiency. You've wandered. There's waste. There's waywardness. Today you need to be redirected back to the right path. Will you come back? Out of my darkness, out of my blindness, out of my disobedience, would you say, Lord Jesus, I come to you.
What about you, my friend, without the Savior? Would you trust him in this moment? Would you understand your need of a Savior? Do you understand that you're a sinner under the judgment of God? Righteous judgment that you deserve. But do you understand also that he loves you nonetheless and has provided for you to escape that judgment? Through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, he's made that provision for you. And if you will bow the knee and receive him today, he will save you and save you now. Will you let him do it? Right where you're seated, just tell him so. Father, I pray that our hearts will be completely open and honest with you, knowing that we cannot hide anything from you, nor should we want to. May we not allow these seconds to pass without responding in some way as the Spirit would direct us. And may this be a new beginning for many of us today. May we walk with the shepherd and know the joy and the blessing that comes from that daily experience. In Jesus' name, amen.